Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, but our show is not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, musicians, and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On some shows, we host programs about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, you've heard us cover topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or who had some interesting history here in New York. We've looked at the history of women activists and the suffrage movement, the history of different immigrant communities. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. They've been part of New York for 200 years, for half of our history. I've looked at the history of punk and opera. Those were separate shows, by the way. You can tell I love both of them. We've looked at our public library systems. We have three in New York. We visited the subway, public art, our greatest train stations, and even some of our bridges. Yes, everyone, New York has incredible bridges amongst everything else. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Tonight, we are going to a very special place, one that is relatively remote by some people's standards, but it's one of New York's really special neighborhoods, and I'm referring to City Island in the Bronx. Many New Yorkers haven't been, but I have a number of times. Uh, my first guest is Barbara Byrne Delensic. Barbara moved to City Island in 1976 with her husband, Emil Delensic, who was the veterinarian at the Bronx Zoo, and she has been an active member of the City Island community for many years. She's been on the staff of the Island Current as copy editor and reporter since 1985. Barbara's an officer of the City Island Civic Association since 1992 and a trustee and officer of the City Island Historical Society, as well as the administrator of the Nautical Museum since 1995. And she's currently an officer of the City Island Oyster Reef. It's a not-for-profit organization founded last year with the goal of restoring oyster reefs in western Long Island Sound for the purpose of cleaning the water and reducing the risk of storm surges and flooding. Not to mention, hopefully, having more oysters to eat. <laughs> she is also an officer of the Gateway, a new nonprofit aimed at opening up public access to the water on City Island. Barbara has worked for many years as an editor and writer, including 15 years at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and she is the author of 13 books. Wow, I get such great people on this show. Barbara Delensic, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. You just wore me out. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you from New York City originally? No, I grew up in Massachusetts, um, on Cape Cod, in fact, um, where I was close to the, you know, the water. <laughs> um, so that when my husband, um, when we were married and he wanted to move to the Bronx, be closer to the zoo, since he was a veterinarian, he was the only vet, and he had to get there in emergencies, like when bears got out and stuff. So he wanted to live nearby. And when I came to City Island, I said, this is it. This is great. I never want to live in Manhattan again. I'd already been in Manhattan for 15 years. And um, uh, the idea of living on the water was just too much to resist. Well, I've, I've actually never heard of anyone where the phone would ring in the middle of the night. And it's like bear emergency. One of the bears got out. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get your clothes on and, and hurry over to, to deal with the situation. 
Um, that'll be a, a topic for another show we, when we uh, explore the Bronx Zoo. Yeah. Um, first, I want to ask you about the name. Um, when did City Island start being called City Island? Might be might be sooner than a lot of people think. Um, yes, and it, it was just before the Revolutionary War. Before that, the island had been called Minnewit or Minifer. Um, it had a number of different names, probably based on Native American words. Um, it was um, purchased uh, by a man um, who decided that it could be a, a, a rival to New York Harbor because people sailing down Long Island Sound from Europe and New England and so forth often came through the sound rather than the ocean uh, because it was safer. And they would stop on City Island. They'd have to pick up a Hellgate pilot to get them down to New York Harbor. And he felt that it was the perfect place um, that would be a rival to New York Harbor. So he, he called it New City Island, then dropped the new, um, and then got wiped out by the Revolutionary War. <laughs> wow. So the, even, you know, it's it, it's interesting. You look at the East River and you look at the treacherous waters in Hellgate and in the days before there was any mechanized uh, uh, sea transport, you actually had regular shipping that would go through Hellgate and down the East River to come to to come to the Port of New York. Right, absolutely. There were great schooners that came. Um, they all had to stop on City Island, in fact, to be inspected. Um, there was a doctor who lived here who inspected all the people on board to make sure they didn't weren't carrying diseases, yellow fever, whatever. And um, and they also examined their what they were carrying, and then would alert um, some of the um, you know like send a Western Union telegram downtown to the Tribune and to other um, areas that needed to know what was coming. From uh, from abroad, and so if, if getting getting these boats, these were big boats with deep keels, and getting them through Hellgate was really was really pretty difficult with tides and wind and and um, and rocks under underwater. So it was it was tough. Wow. And for those of our listeners who may not know what what pilots were in in shipping, um, seafaring captains would uh, get ships and boats across the ocean, but it was pilots who knew the intricacies of the currents of 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 waterway of uh, waterways and where um, and where the rocks were, and you actually needed a pilot to um, uh, to navigate. Uh, uh, safely. Even today, you have pilots all over the world. You know, you have you uh, right. sail a ship into the Mississippi. You have to pick up a pilot who can who takes you from the ocean up the river up to New Orleans and and to the right. port there. Um, something I think is important to include, Barbara, in the show when we look at the history of New York neighborhoods um, are the people who were here before Europeans came. I mean, we all like to think about New York starting in the time of the Dutch, but there were local people here, and there were different um, uh, you know sub tribes of the Lenape tribe. Do we know how local Lenape people lived on what would become City Island before before the Dutch came? Yes, there's been a good deal of study of them. These were um, part of the Algonquin Nation, um, and they lived in this area probably, I don't know, probably for four thousand years. I mean, a long, long, long time. They they were the ones that were originally in Manhattan, and um, but we know that they were in now Pelham Bay Park, which is. Um, City Island has a bridge that takes you uh, to uh, to the mainland, and that mainland is a is the largest park in New York City. And um, people have found burial mounds there and um, evidence that the Lenape people lived. They moved their areas from place to place, but they and they had markets and they had burial mounds and so forth. But on City Island, we don't think they lived on City Island. Um, but they, there's, a, there's evidence that they actually came there 
and uh, and and caught shellfish and fish, probably hunted also for deer, rabbits, whatever. And um, at least there are no rabbits left, so I'm assuming that you know they were pretty good at it. Yes. <laughs> so what they call shell middens, which are in fact garbage piles full of shells, and um, and we know that the the Native Americans were really good at maintaining these big oyster reefs that were off the shore because they didn't take too many. They didn't dig them up. They simply removed what they needed. Uh, but there's no evidence that they lived there. There's no burial grounds or anything like that on the island. Hmm. Well, then the Dutch came in uh, to the area of the 1620s. And um, even before... Sorry? They were very mean to the Indians. Yes. And, uh, but um, there were, even before the English uh, took over New Netherland in 1664, there were English settlers and English entrepreneurs who sort of um, uh, tried to settle on the outskirts. We had, we had the settlements in Flushing, Queens. Mm -hmm. And that also happened in 1654 on City Island. Who was Thomas Pell? Thomas Pell was a physician who lived in Connecticut, but he was British originally. And we understand that the British um, government really wanted him to get a hold of as much property or much land as he could uh, in order to keep the Dutch um, under control and keep and so that the British could become the dominant um, settlers. And for about in 1654, for a son that we do not know, he purchased about 50,000 acres from the local Lenape um, chief. And uh, there's evidence of this. There's a there's a um, a lease really that that was drawn up. As I say, we don't know what he paid, but he ended up owning City Island, then called Minifers, I guess, or then one of the Pell Islands, Hart Island, which is now um, the city cemetery, which is Potter's Field for New York City. And there was a lot of property, so it all became English. And the Pells were a very dominant family for for a. a about 150 years. Wow, that was 80, uh, by my calculation, 80 square miles. That was about three times what uh, the Dutch bought Manhattan, uh, three times the land than when the, than when the Dutch bought Manhattan Island. Yeah, wow. Right. And um, then Thomas Pell also then went and fought and, and helped kick the Dutch out um, of Manhattan as well. He was a oh. good guy all the way around. Who was, let's, let's fast forward to about 100 years. Who was Benjamin Palmer? Benjamin Palmer was the was a relative by marriage of the Pell family, and um, the Pells kept uh, putting the the island up for sale. I think they sold it to each other because they, you know, it was sort of a property that was a, an investment. Um, anyway, Benjamin Palmer bought it, and he had this dream of making it into, as I say, this this rival to New York Harbor. He and a syndicate divided up the whole island with houses. You know, places for houses with places for churches, places for stores and all kinds of stuff. Um, and he had a great plan um, with investors to to make it a, a real town. I mean, a, a small city, in fact. But it all came unstuck because in October of, of 1776, um, the British invaded the Rodman's Neck, which is um, in Pelham Bay Park. It's now the police firing range, but the police were not there at that point. And so the British wanted to head off George Washington at the pass. He had lost Long Island. He lost uh, Brooklyn. He lost Manhattan. He was on his way to White Plains um, to meet up with the rest of his troops. And the British thought they could 
they could head him off. And uh, so they came ashore, um, but they weren't able to do that because of a young Colonel John Glover who had a bunch of patriots and they managed to use guerrilla tactics to keep him from coming ashore, keep the British. And there were many thousands of British, mostly Hessians, I believe at that point, actually. Um, but the problem was that it, they did a lot of damage on City Island and they, they took um, uh, people, um, you know, they, they just made a complete mess. And so um, the whole idea of New City Island was given up and then people just started moving there and settling, but in a, in a small way until it became part of Pelham, New York, which is mm. down in west of the county. We're going to take a break in a minute, but I wanted to ask you first: When would City When did City Island start becoming more settled? Was it right after the war? Was it into the nineteenth century? Pretty much. Um, I think when it became part of Pelham um, at the end of the uh, the end of the eighteenth century, um, then people started moving here. There was a man named George Washington Horton who um, was the head of highways in Pelham. And he bought 40 acres at, at the southern part of the island. And there's Horton Street now. He had a Hellgate pilot a son and so forth. And so many people bought properties. Um, family named Schofield were farmers. Um, Peter Cooper of Cooper Union wanted to have a tannery there. So he, he bought some property. And his, his uh, brother started a salt evaporation process but they both left because they couldn't get their goods to market there was no bridge so they left but orange fordham was um from connecticut and he came and decided he could plant oysters and um build up the oyster reef into a huge business which it became by the um oystering was like it it was uh, city island oysters were famous all over the world Mm. Uh, and the oyster business was was what made millionaires out of a number of people who lived here. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to start off with the oyster industry. Um, We will take a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Barbara Byrne-Delensic. Barbara is the administrator at the City Island Nautical Museum. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. 
future innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. everyone you're back to our episode on city island this is rediscovering new york on our episode number 105 my first guest is barbara byrne delensic barbara is the administrator for the city island nautical museum um barbara before we talk more a little bit about the history of city island i want to ask you about the museum um obviously you cover uh the city island's nautical history is there any kind of special programming that you have or that you might uh, uh reinstitute in the spring because i know the the museum is closed in the winter time well when we actually never even opened the fall last year be, being you know obviously because of the pandemic we are hoping to reopen in uh, in may maybe earlier uh, we did a series of webinars in January and February and um, on things like the America's Cup, since America's Cup defenders, yachts were built here on City Island um, while the boat building industry was active. It is not now, unfortunately, because we never retooled for fiberglass or whatever it is they're using to make the America's Cup boats now. Um, and uh, also about Hard Island, we had a number of webinars and we're hoping to continue that um, into uh, through the year, much more of our of our um, lore and really wonderful stories can available much uh, beyond City Island. We love to have visitors. We often have tours that come to City Island during the summertime and spring. School groups come, uh, but obviously we haven't been able to do that. So we're trying to think up all kinds of clever things to do in the meantime. Well, I'm looking forward to taking advantage of that. I love tours. In fact, one of my programs is I host walking tours, uh, not on the radio. I do that for my real estate business. What? How can people get in touch with, with you in the City Island Nautical Museum? What's your URL? Uh, I would go to www.cityislandmuseum.org. Or if you want to send an email, uh, send it to info at cityislandmuseum.org. Let's go back to the oh, oyster industry. Terrific Facebook page. Sorry. Oh, great. A Facebook page as well. Yes. To the Medical Museum with thousands of photographs. Yeah. When did the oyster industry take off on City Island? Um, around the 1840s, I think it really started to become a big deal. And I, they estimated that there were probably as many as 60 people on City Island that could be considered the equivalent of millionaires now because 
Um, this was one industry where you did not need a bridge to get your goods to market. You simply sailed down to Fulton's fish market and, and sold them there. Um, unfortunately, toward the end of the century, uh, the oysters became polluted. The water were, was polluted. The oysters were overfished. Um, City Islanders went out to places like Oyster Bay on Long Island steal oysters and they became known as oyster pilots and it was it's all over the New York Times which used to read like a scandal sheet in the old days but in any event they city islanders then turned to boat building they had been building oyster skiffs oyster sloops um oyster schooners and so I, eventually boat building became a huge industry here and that's the reason that New York City wanted to take City Island away from Pelham uh, because we were you know, a big deal. Um, they, we had built a bridge here, one of the shipyards built a bridge out of the timbers from the USS North Carolina, which was a decommissioned battleship. And so this bridge was there, it was a toll bridge. Um, I think it cost five cents to go across it, uh, but it obviously rotted at some point. And so when we became part of New York City, New York, uh, the city immediately built a steel bridge which was in place until until Bloomberg decided it needed to be taken away and replaced by another one. And then um, uh, they also built school, which was in fact our third school here. They built, um, they did a sanitary system eventually, you know, near, and New York City really did a lot of good for City Island, but it also increased people coming there. So which we're going to, which I, I do want to ask you about in a in a in a couple of minutes. So you're on your third bridge now. Actually, I thought it was the second one. <laughs> no, the third, the third oh. bridge, yeah. When did the shipbuilding industry start? Um, the, the oldest shipyard that we know of was built uh, was um, actually there's images of it in 1856. Um, a man named David Carl built the local Episcopal church. He built the bridge that I talked about. The first bridge, and um, he also built Magic, or rebuilt Magic, which was the first boat to successfully defend the American. And he built huge other boats. I mean, he was an incredibly important um, shipbuilder of the time. He was from Long Island, but slowly but surely, um, other shipbuilders came. Lot they were these were wooden boats, and so the lots of European carpenters and specialists in working with wood. Um, uh, came to live here and, and worked here at the many shipyards. I think at one point we probably had 25 active boatyards here, building mostly yachts, mostly, but also powerboats. And during the war, during the Second World War and the Korean War, um, minesweepers were built here and PT boats. And a lot of the, the Navy commissioned a great number of military vessels. So, well, that's something that's something I didn't know about. You generally don't think of City Island as a place where they built uh, ships for the war effort. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And sailmaking was the other part. Um, there were five sailmakers here that um, that did huge business. Um, there's one left now, although a couple of the others are still in business, but not on City Island, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, one boat that was built that I found the name interesting was was the Baby Bootlegger. What was the Baby Bootlegger? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really, it's, I think it's just a personal motorboat, but City Island was, as I said, it attracted people, tourists of all kinds. And during Prohibition, 
you know, the restaurants just took their signs down and served drinks. And so City Islanders got into a lot of trouble uh, with the federal agents and so forth. But um, also the boatyards uh, built, you know, bo uh, boats to bring booze from Canada, I guess, and Europe. And, um, you know, that, that, became, um, that became part of the business. We can thank the Seagram Company for that one. <laughs> Big uh, purveyors to the United, the Northern United States of spirits during during right. Prohibition. When was City Island first used as a destination for people to actually go to to recreate, and as opposed to to uh, exclusively, you know, work there and live there to make their living? Not not counting the Native Americans, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, early on, um, it it was at the turn of the of the twentieth century. There were hotels all over the place and, and beaches where you paid a sum and you could you could um, eat at the local restaurant and go to the beach. Um, it's it was a destination. I think the construction of the first bridge and then the the construction of the second steel bridge um, suddenly uh, opened up City Island to to tourism, which has remained to this day. There's a huge resort down at the end of the island built by a man named William Belden. Who was scared out of Wall Street because he uh, he was a uh, part of Black Friday and so he um, because of the scandal so he he built a hotel on City Island and and it was Belden Point down at the Southern Tip called for his name even though he was rather a horrible man. Mm. Well, one thing I, I found interesting reading on the about the history of City Island is there was an unusual method of public transportation. It wasn't a trolley, but a monorail. How long was that there for? Um, that was only ran for about four years because on its first go in 1910, it fell over. Uh, <laughs> all the famous people that were in it, you know, nobody was killed, but, you know, it was, it was sort of embarrassing. Um, there had been, and it was built by August Belmont, Jr., who purchased property in City Island, and his boat was taken care of here and so forth. But he um, he built the, the the subway, the Broadway subway, on the basis of a franchise that he bought from the local um, the local stagecoach. So he and Belmont was the one who said, "Oh, I love I love the idea of a monorail. Let's build one." So he did, um, and not too many people took it. <laughs> well, I want to move to. Uh... An interesting industry that most people, if you say City Island, they wouldn't even know that City Island uh, had a substantial part of the early history of, and that was filmmaking. Yeah. You want to talk about the uh, the filmmaking industry in City Island in the early days? Well, the silent movies were a big business here, um, partly because the owner of the stagecoach was a Judge Carey. His son was Harry Carey, who um, used to ride the horses in, in, in the park, and he met D.W. Griffin, and eventually they went into business together out in California, but while Harry Carey was still living on City Island, he made a number of silent movies here. The the one that he was most involved with, the most famous one, is was uh, Richard III, Shakespeare's play, with a Shakespearean actor. Um, they filmed, it's the, it's the oldest film of five reels. That's a, a feature-length film. Um, that's in existence now, and it was um, all the interior shots were filmed in the Carey House basement. Um, the outdoor scenes were done in New Rochelle, but Harry Carey was part of part of what made that happen. And City Island, because it doesn't look like New York City, um, it's been 
everything except New York City, except City Island, right, Paul, for, for a long time. Um, because, you know, my house was used for Long Day's Journey into Night in 1960. Um, it was also used for Royal Tenenbaums. Um, there are numerous other places on the island that get picked because it looks like Maine or Maryland or any place. Mm. We're almost out of time. It, you know, even though we have almost 25 minutes for each segment, the, the time goes so fast when there's all this fascinating history and people who are passionate about about the things that they love to talk about and that they experience. I want to ask you two quick questions. When would we begin to see the restaurants and the other commercial businesses on the island, mostly along City Island Avenue, that we see there today? When when did they start to develop? Oh, they well, they were always there were always restaurants here, as I said, restaurants and hotels and so forth. Um, but it became a big deal, I think, um, uh, probably in the in the early part of the 20th century, and it's gotten. We have probably there are maybe the island, but nobody closed down during the pandemic. I mean, they you know we continued to support them by doing takeout, um, and a lot of people you know came here anyway because it's nice to be on City Island. Oh, it is a highly, I, I grew up in Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn and uh, Ralph and I go, to, when we have a car at our disposal, we, we go to City Island and I really want to recommend uh, to many New Yorkers who actually may not know about it. It's probably New York's best kept secret neighborhood. It really is wonderful. You, yeah. You've got to drive up there, you make some turns, you go across the bridge and you've got uh, an abundance of really great restaurants. One other thing I want to ask you before you go, Barbara, what's the difference between a clam digger and a mussel sucker? <laughs> Okay, a clam digger is somebody who was actually born on the island or maybe in a hospital if your parents lived on the island. My son is a clam digger. I'm a muscle sucker because I moved here from elsewhere and um, everybody here hates this uh, terminology. But um, when, the, I, when the movie City Island was made, um, it was explained to the world at large what those two terms meant. And uh, you Google muscle sucker in those days, and 20 times, the first 20 entries were all from the movie City Island. <laughs> well, I didn't know that until you told me about it when we first uh, spoke two weeks ago. <laughs> Barbara Byrne-Delensic, thank you so much for being the first guest on this episode about City Island, a very special neighborhood in the Bronx in New York City. Uh, our first guest has been Barbara Byrne-Delensic. She's the administrator for the City Island Nautical Museum. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to speak with our second guest. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, Mortgage Specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212 212- Four nine five zero three one seven. You can like the show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at RediscoveringNewYork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest: even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I'm indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest on our program about City Island is Paul Klein. Paul is the president of the City Island Chamber of Commerce. Originally from Baltimore, he graduated from the University of Maryland in a degree in business studies with a focus on jewelry design and creation and moved to New York City in 1979. Starting his career at David Yurman Designs as production manager and Finley Fine Jewelry as a buyer of pearls and gold jewelry, Paul opened Exotica International Arts in the Village in 1988 and a second location on the Upper West Side in 1992. He moved to City Island in 1994, where he opened his third location. Paul closed his business and reopened as Kaleidoscope Gallery in 2010 as a cooperative gallery featuring his own jewelry design, engravable gifts, artwork, children's toys, housewares, garden decor, personal care products, incense oils, candles, and greeting cards. Paul served on the board of Temple Bethel of City Island from 2007 and served as president from 2011 to 2021. He also served on the board of Pilot Cove Manor from 2017 to 2021. Paul joined the board of the City Island Chamber of Commerce in 2001, where he still serves, currently as president, and he coordinates the annual spring and fall arts and crafts fairs. Paul Klein, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. 
Well, you're originally from Baltimore, as you sometimes say, Baltimore. Um, I actually went to uh, do business. That was impressive. <laughs> well, I used to do business there once upon a time, back from the late 80s to the early 90s. Uh, and I know some parts of, of, of Baltimore. What what part of the city are you from? Um, actually, the suburbs, just uh, just inside the city line from Pikesville, northwest Baltimore. Oh. And and I never had a Baltimore accent because my mother is British and taught us how to speak properly. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, for a moment, uh, being of the tribe, I hope you might have been near Corned Beef Row. That's a great part, street <laughs> in Baltimore, by the way, especially if you like corned beef. Yep. Um, what had you moved to New York after college, Paul? Well, I had visited co- New York a few times in college uh, with friends that lived in Queens and um, Teaneck, New Jersey, and would just come up and I knew that I had to live in New York. So I thought that what I would do is after leaving college, I would move to New York for a couple of years, work in the jewelry industry and move back to D.C. and open a jewelry store. Didn't quite work out that way. So, uh, yeah, I, we got, got you. And here you're uh, here. You've been trapped. <laughs> exactly. Well, I wouldn't wouldn't call anywhere else home at this point. So, well, look, home is where the heart is, you know, uh, wherever one's home is. Um, did you start designing jewelry when you took the job at David Yerman Designs? Well, I actually started designing jewelry when I was probably 12 or 13, ruining some of my grandmother's silverware. Um, but other than that, uh, I took some uh, copper wire from my father's electrical stuff and made bracelets. And when I went to school, I studied jewelry design. So I was actually studying through college and looking for a job in the jewelry industry when I moved to New York. And David Yerman was looking for a production manager. He didn't like my jewelry designs, but he liked the fact that I had a degree in business. And you opened up your own store in the village in 1988. What was it that had you decide that you would go into your own business in, in jewelry? Well, I, I actually, I did not um, go into jewelry business at the time. I didn't want any um, conflict of interest with the jewelry company that I was a buyer for. So um, I had met a friend of mine who had a little shop in Soho. It was just a kiosk, basically, space inside a mall in one of the big spaces. And um, his wife found a space on Christopher Street. And we thought, you know, the rent was reasonable and it was um, just a few steps down off the street. So we decided to go into business together. And at the time I was traveling the world, I've been to almost 30 countries and I would pick up artwork and crafts wherever I went, and we would sell them through the store. Mm. Well, you opened your first business in the village in 1988, opened a second location on the Upper West Side in 1992. Then within a few years, you moved to what some people would think is the most far-flung neighborhood of the city from your businesses. Um, I have to think it was because there was something enchanting about City Island. What had you moved to City Island? Actually, I met my husband in my store on Christopher Street, and he had a house on City Island. Before that, I didn't even know it existed. Oh, wow. Well, it's a good reason to move. (laughs) Um, You opened your third business on City Island, um, but you closed it uh, 12 years later and opened up a new and somewhat different one. What had you decide to close the business and, and, and open as a new one? Well, the economy tanked in 08, and we held on for a couple of years, but it was just not working. And so I decided to close the business and do a going out of business sale, which is the best thing a business can do. You make more money going out of business than ever. Um, People will buy things off the wall. They'll buy the carpeting. They'll buy fixtures, you name it. And so I started this going out of business sale. And I also produced and direct two arts and crafts fairs on City Island every year, the spring and the fall. 
And a number of my vendors decided that they would love to share the space with me. So I thought, okay, if I can rent out parts of the store and make a cooperative of it, I could cover the rent and not have to worry so much about it. So I think we were closed for about four weeks between Exotica International Arts and Kaleidoscope Gallery opening. What what kinds of things can you find at Kaleidoscope now? What uh... We sell, well, I design and make jewelry and we sell estate jewelry, we sell imported jewelry, uh, lots of different gemstones. We have artists um, from all over, but predominantly from the local area that display and sell their work in the store. We sell Melissa and Doug toys and a couple other toy lines, great kids toys. And we've got housewares, we've got um, tabletop items, we've got uh, decorative items for the boat, for the house, for the yard, um, garden items, things like that. So it's a very eclectic, very eclectic uh, shop in under 600 square feet. Wow, that's uh, a lot of stuff in a relatively small space. Yes. Let's talk about City Island as a neighborhood. It, it's not only an island, but it's a New York neighborhood. Describe the vibe of City Island. What is it that you like about it? Well, it, it's always quite amazing because we'll, we'll go on vacation and we'll come across the bridge coming home and it's like, why did we leave? You know, it, it's really a very, you cross the bridge and you just breathe a sigh of relief. Um, it's nautical, it's friendly, it's a neighborhood, people know each other, they talk to their neighbors. Um, it, it's really like being in a small town. And, and one of the amazing things about my history and being here is when I was probably in college and decided that I wanted to come to New York, I also wanted to live in a small town where I could have a jewelry store. So I had this conflict going, it's New York City and a small town with a jewelry store, and now I have both. And it's quite amazing. Mm. Well, you know, you you must have known what my next question was, <laughs> because I was going to ask you, uh, uh, it does have a special feel, but is there anything about City Island that makes you feel that it really is unique in the neighborhood sense, not just because it's an island, but because because of, of the feeling of the spirit it embodies? Well, one of the um, old stories on City Island is if you sneeze as you're crossing the bridge, People know at the end of the island that you've got a cold. So <laughs> word gets around very quickly. We've got great uh, um, communications, um, which is amazing. We've got uh, City Island Chamber of Commerce. We've got the Civic Association. We've got City Island Rising. We've got Facebook pages and Twitter accounts. And people on City Island are definitely involved in things that are going on. But when you're here, you look across East Chester Bay and you can see Manhattan. And, and it's just an amazing thing. You look the other way and you're looking up Long Island Sound. So um, geographically, it's spectacular. You cross, as Barbara said earlier, you cross through the largest park in New York City, Pelham Bay Park, um, where there are wild turkey and eagles and deer and skunk and possum and all sorts of creatures um, to come to City Island. So it, it's really a, a respite. Uh, you, you spoke about, we're, we're going to take a break in a second. You spoke about the community feel of it. Do you, do you find that as a community, it's more cohesive than the other than other parts in New York that you've lived in before you moved to City Island? Uh, yes, I, I would say so. I mean, before moving here, I lived in apartments in Manhattan. And, you know, I was in one apartment on 25th Street probably for four or five years before I met one of my neighbors that lived down the hall from me. 
you know, so if you if you're on City Island, you tend to meet people, and by having a business on City Island, um, it's it's a great way to meet people. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation on this episode about City Island with Paul Klein. Paul is the president of the City Island Chamber of Commerce. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. To Rediscovering New York in our episode on City Island. My second guest is Paul Klein. Paul is the president of the City Island Chamber of Commerce. Paul, let's talk about the Spring and Fall Arts and Crafts Fair. What uh, You probably didn't have one last fall. Um, <laughs> in fact, we canceled the spring and the fall last year um, because of COVID. But uh, we have permits in place for the first weekend in June. So it's June 5th and 6th this year and September 11th and 12th. Hmm. And uh, we usually get about 50 to 60 artists and craftspeople um, selling, displaying and selling their work on City Island Avenue for about four blocks in the center of the island. And uh, we'll have music in Hawkins Park. We have some bands that will play for us. Um, in the fall, we usually have a clam chowder contest where all the restaurants on the island, uh, you know, sample. You get to sample all different chowders in a blind taste test, which is a lot of fun. Do they do uh, New England as well as Manhattan, or is Manhattan? Uh... Well, they do both. <laughs> they do both. All right. Um, are there any unusual um, kinds of crafts or art that that you think people might be able to find at the fair that uh, really would speak specially about about it? Well, yeah, we have again local artists and craftspeople doing um, interesting photography and painting. 
Um, I have craftspeople that will do everything out of seashells. You know, they'll do decorative mirrors and clocks and uh, ornaments and things like that for the house out of seashells. Um, we have uh, jewelers that work with um, beach glass and things of that nature. So it, uh, you do have a very nautical feel to some of the crafts as well. And uh, yeah, the Chamber's been sponsoring this for, well, last year was the first time in 25 years that we did not have the arts and crafts fairs. And that's the first weekend in June? First weekend in June. Mm. And is there a website that people can, can tune into to find out about it? Uh, cityislandchamber.org will get you uh, all the information. We have a calendar of events and we should have applications available for artists and craftspeople if they want to join us. Um, we set up spaces on the avenue and they set up on the sidewalks and it works mm -hmm. out really nicely. Getting back to City Island as a neighborhood, um, do you feel that it's changed at all since, since you moved there in the 90s? Well, yes. Um, it's changed, but it's very much the same at the same time. I, I think there's more of a international mix of people living on the island now. Um, you know, the island is, um, it's expanded in a lot of um, boatyards became housing developments. Um, New York City and New York State taxed boatyards out of business primarily. Um, so that uh, a lot of them just found it more profitable to sell it to uh, real estate developers. And so there's some beautiful homes on water or close to the water, uh, condominiums, cooperatives, houses. Like Pilot Cove Manor, for example. <laughs> well, Pilot Cove Manor is a senior housing development mm. um, for 65 and older, um, but amazing views, you know, of Long Island Sound out the windows. And they've got a great dock up there, too. Um, but there are a number of different, you know, properties that are being developed still. Um, so you're getting uh, fresh, you know, fresh people involved all the time. When I moved here, um, the Bronx Zoo actually had a lease on a number of units. And, uh, you know, I'd be in my store and the person that takes care of the elephants would be walking in or someone who works in the reptile house. You know, we start to talking and, you know, fascinating, you know, interesting mix of people. And the Bronx Zoo is probably five miles away. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it's changed a little, but, it, you know, it's always interesting. And one question I like to ask people who have been part of a community for a long time, um, even though you're part of the community for a, a while, um, has anything ever happened that has surprised you about, a, about the community? Anything that, that, that sort of caught you off guard? Um, well, yeah, usually any, any crime of uh, any intensity, there was a, uh, a shooting that happened many years ago, and that really you know, it took me off guard because you don't expect that on City Island. Um, it's a pretty quiet, laid-back neighborhood in, in most cases. So you don't expect much trouble like that. And uh, and in general, it's pretty peaceful and pretty quiet. I want to ask you another question about, about Kaleidoscope. Um, would you say that most of the people who come into the store are from City Island or, or, or most of them come from some other places? Oh, I think it's probably an equal mix. Um, there are about 4,500 people that live on City Island. I would say a majority of them probably have never stepped in the store. Um, they don't shop locally. They'll get on their car and they'll drive off island to do whatever they're doing. 
I had a customer in a couple of years ago doing all her Christmas shopping and she had like 20 to 30 different items she was buying and just loving everything. And I said, Oh, where do you live? She said, Oh, I'm down the block. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Dittmar street. I said, huh? and did you just move in? Oh no, I've been here 10 years, but I don't come South of Dittmar street. I said, you're kidding. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, she became a customer at that point, but you know, people will, it becomes uh, almost like a, bedroom community you know you you sleep there and then you go off to work and you come back and you're in your house well isn't that the proverbial you know one, one of the proverbial stories about new york i mean how many new yorkers have never been to the empire state building we've been you know the places that we all you know we think how could you not do that how could you know you you live down the block from this amazing place and and have never patronized it before right um i want to ask you a question as a business owner is there anything that you struggle with in the neighborhood well, I mean, COVID knocked the crap out of mm. all of us. Um, as from, I would say, when this started last May, that's March, I was on Zoom calls probably three times a week um, with their politicians and um, small business services and the SBA and trying to figure out how to fund businesses. And I was sending out information almost weekly as to how to apply for your PPP money, how to apply for your idle loan. Um, where grants were available. Um, and I took advantage of all of the, whatever I could just to keep us going. I just got our second PPP money that came in last week. Um, so it's, it, the problem is that City Island depends on tourism. Um, at one point, I had visited almost every hotel in Manhattan and talked to the concierges. And I, well, at one point, we brought them up to City Island by bus gave them a tour of City Island, a boat ride around the island, and then a traveling meal that went from an entree or an appetizer in one restaurant, entree in another, dessert in another, so they'd get a feel for City Island. And we did that for a few years. And then um, we have a head of tourism, Maria Caruso, who is an, um, she's a travel agent, and she took over that aspect of it. And again, a couple of years back, she brought a whole group of tour operators and people to City Island so that they could experience it and bring their groups here. Once the pandemic is over, Paul, do you see, and business gets back to normal again as much as we can, do you see yourself opening up another business on City Island sometime? Um, no, I, I think uh, this business is certainly enough to keep me going. Um, as long as, you know, as long as I can pay the rent, I'm, I'm happy with it, you know, it, uh, it serves a purpose. We, you know, we change watch batteries. Where do you go to change a watch battery? That's thank God. It's something you can't do online. And Amazon doesn't do watch batteries. So at least they don't change them for you. <laughs> no, not <laughs> yet. Anyway, <laughs> you can buy them in bulk, but you can't get them changed. You can't get them changed. So, so I think um, service industries are really what's key in this environment. Um, unfortunately, we had a pet supply store open up just at the beginning of the pandemic. And they've since closed, mm. but they were also going to offer grooming for dogs, which is something that City Island could desperately use. Um, you know, so I think the business was right on target with what they were planning on doing. Just COVID knocked it out of the park. You know, they just couldn't do it. Mm. So that was that's a pity. Well, one last question I want to ask you. It's a general question, um, not about a particular business, but, you know, post-pandemic. Is there any particular advice that you would have for someone who's considering opening up a business on City Island? Well, I, I would think if you could if you could come up with a service business um, that, you know, you cannot get online, I, I think that's key. 
uh, it, whether it be, um, we have a great little flower shop that's open and she sells amazing flowers, Jill's garden, um, wonderful plants. I have one in the house that we've had for going on two years, it still blooms. I mean, so it, it's really quite amazing. And uh, she also does garden uh, planting and garden design. So she has uh, quite a background in horticulture. Mm. Um, yeah, so there are a lot of things. I think, uh, again, I think service industry, food, of course. I mean, there are 32 restaurants on City Island, places to eat, ranging from, you know, fine white tablecloth dining to um, we have a diner that's just great. You know, amazing food, different soups every day, um, you know, always keeping people happy. And there are probably, you know, three or four bars plus the yacht clubs. We still have yacht clubs on City Island. So there are three yacht clubs that are pretty much open to the public when it comes to dining. And you have great views of the water from the yacht clubs. Well, before we went on the air, we were talking about some of the places to go and eat. And um, I'm looking forward to doing it when I get the car back <laughs> after having not had it for a little while. Uh, Paul Klein, thank you so much for being a guest on this program about City Island. Our second guest uh, on this program about City Island has been Paul Klein. Paul is the president of the City Island Chamber of Commerce and also the owner of Kaleidoscope, a shop that sells jewelry, art, and lots of other interesting and fun things, including children's toys. If you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent in Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is the great Sam Leibowitz. Our production assistant is Leah Coppola. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day hey everybody it's tommy d the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic each week here on talkradio.nyc i host a program philanthropy and focus Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. 
Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc do you love or are you intrigued about new york city and its neighborhoods i'm jeff goodman host of rediscovering new york a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 